we all can't help but wonder what adventures lie just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is always your updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Along with Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are all built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. <laughs> I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It, Cut To It, let's get down to it, Cut To It. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's Cut To It. You know it's if you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. You know it's all. It's You know what? You acting real funny with that right. black, black <laughs> effect T-shirt on. It's like, it's like your bulletproof vest. <laughs> good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are listening to the Cut to a Podcast. Yo, yo, yo. I am Steve Smith Sr. This is Gerard Little John. Backstage Joe, say hello. Hello, everybody. All right, so got a little banter going on, uh, opening up. And um, a couple of weeks ago, last week, whichever way you you are listening, because you can download this podcast anytime, anywhere, uh, this may be a new episode for you, or this may be an old episode for Mm -hmm. some other folks. So had the unique opportunity. to go to Montana Ooh. and did some skiing. And yes, uh, you know, black man, um, I ski. Brother on the slopes. Brother on the slopes. Swooping. <laughs> Swooping. Oh, yes, I was. <laughs> and I, I enjoy skiing because it's a place where I can be myself. Uh, I am all bundled up. Nobody knows what color I am. I have, you know, nothing of my appearance other than if I wear some flamboyant Pants, I, I'm just a skier. Describe right. flamboyant what, what, for me. What were your flamboyant? Oh, so pants a flamboyant. I saw several flamboyant people out there. Which was, we're on the ski slopes and you're in like a onesie that, like you're Olympic, like you're in the Olympics. Oh, like you win the Winter Games. Skiing, skiing yeah. onesies. But I saw the dude fall. So look, your outfit didn't match your game. It wasn't good for his aerodynamics. Uh-uh, huh? uh-uh, Perpetrating. Uh-uh. Yeah, he was. Yeah. 
he looked good, but he didn't play good. So, uh, but one of the things that was really cool is I normally, because of my job with NFL Network, I normally travel round trip. I probably take about 20 to 30 flights a year. Mm-hmm. Since COVID has happened, this is my second flight in 10 months. Wow. And it was really interesting because it was, for the first time in 10 months, I felt somewhat back to normal. I got up, I had a destination, mm-hmm. had to go through security. I had something that was prior 10 months ago, it was just everyday occurrence. I mm-hmm. get on an airplane on Wednesday, go Thursday night football, depending on what time, I'll leave Friday, I may have another, I go home back to Charlotte or I go somewhere else uh, to another game. But that was my normal routine. COVID stopped my normal routine. So I thought it was really cool that I I experienced something normal. So my question to you, Gerard, is since COVID has hit, what have you been able to do that actually makes you feel like things are getting back to normal for you? Oh, good question. I, that's I, solid question. Oh, I've been waiting. And Joe, think of yours too, player, because oh. you up next. I, <laughs> I mean, that question is tough because I know. what is normal, right? Normal exactly. is there, there is no more normal. So I'm talking about the bare bones normal. Mm-hmm. I, I had told Joe, I had said, man, it's good just to be out going through security. The only thing that what's was normal. What's normal for you may not be normal for someone. It may not I, be more normal for someone else. Did you ask normal, him what's right. normal for him? I'm just trying to. Yeah, I thought, right. I, thought I did. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay, right. go. But, but I'm, that's what I'm saying. There is, what my point is, is that there is no more normal, right? So normal for me is going home, playing with my kids, but I was doing that prior to COVID. Yeah. I got a chance to do that more, right? So that, that, bring, that so, re-centers me, but in terms so of what with that, normal, Everything you're saying is you have not had that normal button maybe push for you yet. No, because there okay. is no more normal, right? Like yeah. th- this, well, that's, stay I, at home, I think that's normal, different. I, right? I, I, I totally disagree with that statement. It's no more normal. Because we can agree to disagree. Here's yeah. why. This virus has altered some things, but at the same time, it has not altered who we are. And no, no and, and so, and I'm saying normal meaning it, it was refreshing to me to actually get to do something mm-hmm. that was kind of back to what I was used to. Right. And I'm not talking about the traveling. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about just getting up finally with a destination that is not. Grocery store. Yeah. Bathroom. Right. Uh, taking the kids to school or dropping them off or, you know, something like that. I'm just talking about like, hey, the world has started to turn a little bit. Yeah. And that's what I mean by normal. And so I think to some degree you haven't hit that button yet. That's what I'm just saying. Like, yep. it, like we're, we just differ on opinion, right? Yep. But, but because I'll say that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really normal right now. And, and, and oh, I, it's still not a, normal. Yeah, it's not normal. But so I got, I got a, I, yeah, you got a, you, you got a chance to break. No, through a I got barrier. a slice. Yeah. I got a slice of the normal pie mm-hmm. that I'm be honest, 10 months ago, I didn't appreciate it. Yeah. I didn't going through security, TSA, right. whatever, right. you know, Right. Uh, Why well, I have TSA? Because I don't feel like stripping down half right. to, halfway, uh, you know, down to, to whatever, right. right? And they checking your cords and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like, I, I, 
I dropped my son off at school. I, I ran, I drove up to the airport and I was like, huh, wow. Mm-hmm. I was looking at things as if it was my first time here. Mm. It was, I was like, wow, yeah. a gate. Oh, parking. Right. Right. It's really the first time Steve's ever been excited going through security. Yes. <laughs> like he, he was pumped up about it. He's like, I'm going through security right now. Right. It's like a play by play. It was. So it, maybe that'll hit me like yeah. whenever you go back to a football game or a basketball game yeah, or something yeah, yeah. to where that's not part of normal life. Yeah. Right. So maybe that'll hit then. But for right now, like, nah, I guess I really haven't yeah. had what you're talking about. I probably haven't had because a slice just, of normal. So here's my challenge to you, friend, brother. Okay. Try to find something in the next couple of weeks. You and Ab, you and me or somebody, where you just get a little slice of normal. Maybe mm. it's, you know, with all the protocols going bowling or mm. just something normal. Like, bro, I've gotten so much. Oh, I want to say so much, but it, it, it probably is. It, we've gotten so much takeout food. Mm-hmm. But just to sit in a restaurant. Right. Like, it's like, man. I forgot about this. Oh, okay, I'll give you one. When we, uh, we, all three of us had a chance to kick back and watch the national championship game. Yeah. Like that was probably a piece of normal because, yeah. you know, you can't really gather amongst large groups, right? Yeah. So for us to be well, able to we, do it we in, did in that a distant last year, way. Though. Yeah, but, us, yeah. but <laughs> even just being able, but yeah. that was what, was, what was last year? Normal. But that was normal. And this year we watched it in the office. Uh, so going back to that que- question, you know, my normal right now, it, is this podcast because we've mm-hmm. been doing it through yeah. COVID. So my current normal is I work on guests all week long mm-hmm. and then, you know, we formulate questions and move them forward. And then we come in here on Tuesdays, but getting back to the normalcy, you know, backstage Joe's nine to five gig. Cause you know, Steve Smith don't be paying a whole bunch of money to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I got to get another gig. <laughs> so just oh, going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> just saying like, He's giving oh, you I mean, minimum wage is being raised. We giving, got a new man in the White House, and it's going up. That's all I'm he's, saying. He's okay. giving you the look like he wants you to move along. Beep. Okay, but that's, <laughs> rewind. Okay. So Steve pays well, but just in case I want to do something extra, <laughs> backstage Joe's nine to five is like getting back to seeing my customers in my yeah. in my normal company. Um, so you know, talking to them and actually scheduling mm-hmm. visits to jump on a plane to go see somebody because. That is exciting because, you know, I remember, man, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to do this. But now it's like, right. whoa, like I'm excited to get out there. And you can only do so much on Zoom. We Correct. all know yeah. that. You know, jumping on a plane and going that face-to-face, you know, from a sales perspective, mm-hmm. nothing beats getting there and sitting down with your customer, your client, or your friend and being able to have that conversation. Yeah. So, well, um, who we got? Coming up on the Cut to It podcast, we've got Jerome the Bus Bettis inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2015. He won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, drafted by the Rams, one of the all-time best running backs in NFL history. Jerome Bettis on the Cut to It podcast. Man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. We appreciate you even more. Our first segment, it's called Get Iced Up. So just like anything else, you got to get warmed up. You got to get ready. But it's got we do a play on words. And so just like Smitty's famous saying, ice up, son, we got to get you iced up. So it's a series of icebreakers. 
There may or may not be follow-ups. You don't know what's coming. Neither do I. So, Smitty, go ahead and give him the first one. Uh, what's your favorite comfort food? Ooh, favorite comfort? Uh, potato chips, probably. Okay, what flavor? Um, I'm a Ruffles guy. Mm. Ruffles sour cream? Barbecue? No, Ruffles, Ruffles you said, plain. Your favorite flavor first, didn't Ruffles you? Ruffles plain. Cheddar guy. I can tell. No. Oh, gee, you got that. You got that sour cream face. <laughs> Actually, I'm a salt and pepper. Oh. <laughs> I, salt bet, and pepper. I bet you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, moving on, moving on. All right, with I said, we taking shots out the gate. Hey, Boy, hey, it's, 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 it's Smitty Roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, this this is my guy though. This is my guy. So we 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 going pretty deep. Uh, the, you know, obviously with everything going on, travel has not been up to standard uh, in which people are used to. So where's the last place you traveled pre-COVID? Oh, pre-COVID. Our, our last trip pre-COVID, we went to, I'm trying to think, where did we go? Jerome. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's an open book test, bro. It's, it's, I it's, know, man. I'm trying to remember. It's your life. Remember. It's your life. <laughs> But shit, you know how long <laughs> we we went to um. You need to phone a friend. Yeah, I know. I need. I need that. Oh, we got limitless options. To, um, I mean, you ain't poor. It ain't like it was, you know, Hershey Park or something. I mean, goodness gracious. It was uh, damn man. I can't remember. I was see. It? So there's, there's, so it there's, was in the Caribbean. We went, okay. we went to, it was in the Caribbean. Just pick a Caribbean. place. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just going, I'm going with it. Dominican. I'm going, hey, I'm going with hey. a, a large so, swath. I'm going with the Caribbean. We okay. Down there. You go. So you got CTE and then you got COVID. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> hey, come on, bro. COVID. Clearly. No question. I can't even remember oh, the just last step. Man. So <laughs> Terrible. All right, man. let's move so, on. There's a legend. This is a legend. It's a legend, but he still can't remember last <laughs> he still time. Can't remember, right? He still can't. He got three like this, Sports Illustrated magazines on the back, but he don't know when the last place he took a vacation. Hold on. I'm Look, he's trying to run. <laughs> he trying to get that time <laughs> stamp. <laughs> he went. He going through his Look, going, Yeah. Let me I'm see. about to find out right now. I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. This, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> gonna, this is gonna bother him until he finds the answer. Jay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on a, a Zoom call, but I got a question for you. Where did we go um, vacation? Remember we were vacation with the neighbors right before COVID? I found the wife. This is awesome. My, I'm talking about daughter. She's a, oh, she knows everything. That's even worse. Yeah, yeah. He don't want to embarrass himself to his wife. This is amazing. I can't. I can't call my wife. No. Yeah, you don't want to lose that battle. <laughs> uh, I want to preach. The... She she can't even remember. That's how bad it was. See. All right. We you need another lifeline. Yeah. I know, right? I need to call somebody else. Unbelievable. I know who we can you pull can call. Oh, there we go. Turks and Caicos. Okay. Yeah, no, thanks, baby. I was gonna pull the audience. Oh, look here. Thanks, baby. I love you. Yeah. Smooch. <laughs> Turks and Caicos, man. It was hard. I mean, you don't remember that one. I, I yeah. didn't even remember that. That just helps my narrative of why I don't like the Caribbean. Why? Bro, they show. Yeah, yeah. You go to dinner, it's five hours. Don't have a group beyond hey, 10. No worries, man. Damn right. it, Everything, everything's a little slower. Everything I gotta, when I'm out on vacation for dinner, I got a lot of worries. My stomach. 
so Jerome, what's your most important meal? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Well, you know what? It's two, two, two different deals here. My, my favorite meal is breakfast. Mm -hmm. My most important meal uh, is probably lunch. Mm. Why lunch? Because I, sometimes I don't get, I don't get, I don't eat breakfast because I'm, I'm moving. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes dinner yep. is, you know, you, you can have a big dinner sometimes, a light one is, a, lunch is really that one that, that's a staple for me. It's like, if I don't have a good lunch, then I, I'm having a bad day. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of one of those things. So I think lunch is the most important, but it's not the favorite. Give me a Hall of Fame Jerome Bettis breakfast. Probably pancakes, scrambled eggs with cheese, a little uh, crispy bacon, uh, and some hash brown. That'll be it. I'm, I'm winning. That's all you need, man. Sometimes that's sometimes all I need. Kind of, uh, kind of pancakes like flapjacks or no? Like I just yeah, yeah, just just the uh, you know the uh, um, buttermilk pancakes. That's all I need. Silver dollars, boom, we good. Regular degular. That's all you need. That's it. Keep it simple, stupid. There you go. Kiss, yes. kiss breakfast. Yep. All right, That's last right. one. I don't know how you're going to take this, but we're going to head and do it. Uh, bus or Greyhound? Bus? What? Come on, man. Y'all tripping, man. Come on, man. You know that. Come on, man. Bus. You know, you're old enough. So yep. what was your first Greyhound trip, though? Because mm. you're from, you from Detroit. and I'm from Detroit. And I know... Y'all wouldn't hop on the airplane. Nah, so. Not in the D. No, plane. I didn't know what the airplane was, man. Um, my first, my first Greyhound trip, we went to Toronto. Okay. Um, and that was in in middle school. I was in middle school, so that was that was the first time uh jumping on jumping on the Greyhound, going up there. And it was actually for school. It was a school a school trip that they um they took us all up there. Uh, in middle school, and it was it was yeah. I, it, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget it because I, I saw the um, the spaghetti factory for the first time. I was like, "What man?" I need to go. And so we ate at the spaghetti factory, and so I always remember that trip because I ate at the spaghetti factory, and I was like, "Man, this is good." I remember that. It, it might actually it might have been a bowling trip too. Because as a kid, I was a I was a big bowler, so we we went all over the country bowling. At that age, I know I went to Kansas City, I, I went to uh, all over the state of Michigan, I went to um, outside of Chicago, all those places bowling. He's a damn good bowler. Yeah, at twelve years old, I was one of the top twelve year old kids in the country, so we were going all over the place bowling everybody. So did it like a parent have to hop in yeah. the bowling? Yep, yep. Parents, the parent, our parents, my one of my parents would come uh, usually on uh, on every trip, and it was usually on the weekend. So we would leave, we would leave Friday after school, and we would get back Sunday night. So it was never really that long. So it was always, you know, in the and it was kind of like a tournament season, a certain time of the year that we would all do this after we would go through our leagues and all that kind of stuff and then you do the state the state tournaments and then you do all go all over the country for the for the uh the big ones all right let's get let's get right into it man this, that's that's cool i you know your favorite sports team growing up 
Dallas Cowboys, right? Oh, I would have never guessed. Threw Ron up was in a my mouth. Uh, well, well, well. Here's why, though. Here's why? why. I'm tell Cowboys why. fan. I'm explain you why because it kind of leads back to my my last story. I bowled, right? So oh, we bowled on the weekend. So I never watched um, college football, and I didn't watch pro football. The only times I watched football was on Thanksgiving, and the only two games, two teams that played was Dallas was and the Lions. Lions. Right? I'm yeah. from Detroit. But we lost every every damn Thanksgiving. So <laughs> yeah. I was always wanting to watch. I was going with the team that won. Because mm. I'm like, man, I'm not going to cheer for this loser every every Thanksgiving. Hey. So I was cheer for the Cowboys. And so my brother, who was older than me, he started. He became a diehard Steeler fan. And I hated the Steelers. So in a bit of, of irony, yeah. I get so traded much irony. To, the, to the Steelers. And it was the team that I hated the most. And the one player I hated the most of all was Franco Harris. And he became one of my closest friends. And it was just kind of like, when I when I got a chance to sit down and have dinner with him the first time, I said, Franco, I want to tell you the truth, man. I hated you. What was that? Where'd the hatred come from? Because they used to beat the Cowboys and he was always- The guy. You know, front and center. He was the man. And he would, he, I mean, it never failed. He would, you know, break our hearts, man. And so I, I hated Franco. Um, and so I told him, I said, man, I never liked you when I was a kid, man. And I, I said, I love you now, man, but I, I just couldn't stand you. So he laughed. He laughed about it. We had a great talk about it. But it was, it was one of those, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. New house, man, man. Oh, man. Well, so obviously, based off our conversation, um, your other sport, and I'm not really sure if I can really call it a sport. Uh, what? Is uh, bowling. So you you had a. You don't know if you can call it a sport. Man, stop that, man. He ready that's to that's, that's that wrong, you. man. They I'm... bowl all over the world, man. That's terrible. Terrible. Mm. You don't know if it's a sport. No, I got you. I just don't. Yeah. Is badminton a sport? Yeah, they call that a sport. So you're going to just, you're going to discount bowling? That's that. Right? Do you really think I play badminton? Of course not. That's the whole point I'm making. So you're bang you banging on bowling. I wasn't banging on bullet. I just had. Okay, well, we've the I. You know what? They almost because I apologize. You can drink beer and and you can have a pot belly. (laughs) You don't have to look like an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) We have to take a break, and more than anything, we gotta pay some bills. Mm -hmm. You got checks. I love Cut To It, and I I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media, too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook? Cut To It featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at CutToItPodcast.com, where you can buy merch, and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers questions. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cut to it, podcast.com. Are you all about the NBA action? You got to try Pick 6, the newest fantasy app from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can earn a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Getting started is simple. Just download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up with code TBE. Pick at least two players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. 
like will they score more or less than 30 points or have more or less than eight assists? Lock them in and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and get started with code TBE. New customers can earn a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code TBE. The crown is yours. One offer per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit to receive a match of up to $100 in Pick 6 credits. Non-withdrawable and valid for Pick 6 use only. Expire after 180 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Nissan has a car for everyone. And that means every driver who wants more. Whatever your more is. More freedom. More head-turning style. More exhilaration. Nissan has it. Get more exhilaration behind the wheel of the Nissan Z, the sports car built to deliver the most thrilling drive ever. Make more moves with the Nissan Rogue that can switch between power and fuel efficiency at the press of the pedal. If you're craving more adventures with your crew, try the Nissan Pathfinder, the vehicle with the muscle to help you handle the journey. Want more of a rush with your drive? Zip around in the agile and stylish Nissan Sentra. And for a drive that's positively more electric, the Nissan Aria has the perfect combination of raw power and refined luxury. When you want more of what makes driving exciting, from sports cars and sedans to EVs, pickups and crossovers, you can rely on Nissan because more is all we do. To get the endless excitement and the more you've been looking for, check out Nissan's amazing lineup. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. 2023 EPA fuel economy estimates. 30 city MPG. 37 highway MPG. 33 combined MPG for Rogue S and SV front wheel drive. 28 city MPG. 35 highway MPG. 31 combined MPG for Rogue S and SV all wheel drive. 29 city MPG. 36 highway MPG. 32 combined MPG for Rogue SL and Platinum front wheel drive. 28 city MPG. 34 highway MPG. 31 combined MPG for Rogue SL and Platinum all wheel drive. Actual mileage may vary with driving conditions. Use for comparison only. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I think we know where you're from, but we like to ask where you from and the place you call your hometown. I am from Detroit, Michigan, the D. That's that's home. Always has been, always will be. That's home for me. And how did it growing up in Detroit, Michigan? Um, it, I mean, it was challenging. It what was do you challenging? Mean? That's what I would say. What What do you mean? How um, was it challenging, particularly for you? It was challenging for me because of the environment that we were in. I mean, we, you know, it was there. It was the late 80s um and so drugs was rampant crime was was rampant it still is i mean if you go back in the inner city of detroit right now it's still uh, uh a difficult place to to grow up but I, but i will say that that you know it it really helped me develop 
as a person. Uh, I, I, I grew thick skin really quick. Uh, I found out that, you know, we didn't have uh, a lot of money. We had a lot of love in the house, mm. but uh, I realized that, you know, once I left, I realized we were poor. When I was there, I, I thought we were, we were, we were all right because you know, the houses next to us, everybody kind of had the same things. And, and you didn't realize that the house that we grew up to grew up in, my father had a, a mortgage on it. And, the, and I, when I signed, I bought the house and, and realized that the house cost $26,000 and my dad had a 30 year mortgage on it. It's like, what? what? Um, but then you realize that we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot. And so it, it was, it was tough, but it was, um, I wouldn't have, have wanted it any other way. We had a very close fam family, um, and that's how we grew up. And and that kind of made me the, the person that I that I became in terms of physical tough, uh, tough minded. It, it came from uh, growing up in Detroit. With everything you experienced, how did it shape your view on how you see the world today? And, and before you answer, I, I want to kind of not necessarily talk about the accolades, but you know, you go back and think about Detroit. How has it shaped your life? How you see it today? It, going through everything because going through what you've been through, there were times where you either responded, you withdrew, or you rose up based on your Detroit DNA. What has shaped you and molded you? That's carved you into the which I believe is a strong man, a, a prominent example, someone that I've looked up to. And I, I really want to know, like, I, I'm honored that you came on our podcast, but I, I can, I care about your NFL career, but I, I, I'm really intrigued. And almost like this is a, this is storybook time of the Jerome Bettis, the man. So that's okay, what so I want to know about yeah. you. What has Detroit yeah. shaped you and how you see today after a long well-traveled, decorated NFL, and also decorated black man. I'm gonna go back to my football beginning because not a lot of people, you know, some people know, I didn't play football until high school so, because I was bowling. So I made a decision in eighth grade that I was going to pursue uh, football because I, I wanted to get a, a scholarship. The only reason I played football was to give myself a chance to get a scholarship. So. Um, I was a pretty smart kid growing up. I was National Honor Society, all that. But I had an older brother, older sister. And I knew if, it, if, if school was anything like me getting my school clothes, I was going to be last and I was going to get left out, mm -hmm. right? Because I didn't get a lot of school clothes because it was my older brother, older sister, they got the first dibs. So I said to myself, I need to give myself the best chance to get to college. So I said, well, you know, maybe I, you know, my, my uncle, who was a high school football coach, thought I could play football. He said, man, you, I, I think you can play. He had watched me in the neighborhood play one day. And he, he, he thought I could play. So with that in mind, I said, okay, let me try to play football so I can try to get a scholarship. At this time, I'm, I'm, I'm going into my freshman year. I'm about five, ten. Already taller than me. Probably about <laughs> five, five, nine, five, ten. I'm about two hundred and 220, 225, maybe right in there. Oh. 215, yeah, right in there. Oh, so, you was already a bus. Hey. Yeah, I was a big, I was a big. You was already a bus. You know, on the, on the health scale, that's, you, you obese. 
No, 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 no. I was I was rock hard. Now this, this, <laughs> back then it was different. It was down. You you weren't quite the so, bus. It was a shuttle bus. No, 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 no. He had no, 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 no. The bus didn't showed up yet. The bus didn't showed up. I was an SUV at the point. That boy was a. He was a. I was. I, I was. I was on twenty two. <laughs> oh, so oh, gotta add the two. <laughs> yeah, I was right. But were they clean? Were they clean? Were they clean? I was riding. Hey, so candy paint. Candy you know paint. <laughs> I had that a candy paint. You know that. So we got the fuchsia gators and all that. You know that mm. Detroit player. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> so I made a decision that I was going to I was going to play football. So I went to this high school on the other side of town to play my freshman year. And this was supposed to be a football powerhouse and all this. And so I'm, I'm, my uncle said, you want to go to the best, you know, so I went over to this school. And going to, going to the school, I had to live with my aunt and uncle. And so I would during the week live with them and I would come home on the weekends. Well, in doing that, I knew that I was I was putting a lot of people, you know, in these difficult situations. My aunt and uncle lived with them. You know, they already had two two girls. They would have a family, you know. So I'm I'm kind of like coming in on everybody's deal. My my mother and father trying to figure out how they can get me over here, how they can pick me, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I decide to go there and they back me on going. And I'll never forget that we had a, a, a rain day. So we had to go in the gym. And we went in the gym and we had just, we were just doing calisthenics. And, and I'll never forget, we had to get on the ground and we were doing the six inches, six inches, right? Oh, on your stuff, right? And we had to just do it for, I mean, it must have been five minutes straight, right? So and he, they wanted to see who was going to, who was going to break, right? Who was going to put they, who was going to put it down? And I kept thinking to myself, I can't quit because I can't let everybody down, right? Mm. I'm, I, this was in my head. If I quit, I'm letting everybody down. My aunt, my uncle, my mom and dad, everybody sacrificing for me to be in this moment. I can't quit. And so that kind of, you know, steamrolled and then as I kept going, kept playing after that year, I left that school, went back to my neighborhood school. And my sophomore year, I played tight end and nose guard, uh, my sophomore year. Um, and, you know, was, was, was just playing the game. Then I fell in love with the game. Um, probably my junior year, I played linebacker and fullback. And then things started to really, uh, you know, get, get, get kind of bananas. But in that process, I was always uh, grinding because I told myself, you know, I've got to give myself the best chance. So I got to be the best I can be to give myself the best chance. And when, then once I got in position to get scholarships, then it was okay. Well, where am I going to go, right? And then Notre Dame, I told you, I didn't watch high, I didn't watch college football, so I didn't know Notre Dame. I, I didn't know what Notre Dame was, right? I'm like, wow. I'm like Notre Dame. It's in Europe. Where am I? I'm, well, I'm not going to Notre Dame. What is that? I didn't know, right? Mm. All I knew was University of Michigan because they, you know, you would hear about them in Michigan yeah. State because you're from that town. But I didn't know, you know, USC, Clemson. I, I didn't know all these schools. So everybody started recruiting me after after my kind of my junior year. I started to get all this information and learn all this stuff. So I was a newbie. And then when I did, I decided on Notre Dame because the the academics and the athletics, right? Mm. So for me. It wasn't, I didn't think I could go in the NFL. I had no idea, no dreams. Like, you know, as a kid, I didn't dream of playing in the NFL. 
I just want to get a scholarship. And then after my sophomore year, they said, well, you can go to the NFL. I'm like, really? I'm, and so I stayed another year. And then Coach Holtz told me it was time for me to leave. Wow. I went, I, I met with him after my junior year. And I was scared as ever. I went and met with him with my mom and dad. And he told me, he said, son, you've done all you can do here at Notre Dame. It's time for you. Wow. And I'm, I was thinking he was going to tell me to stay. And I was going to be like, okay, I'm staying. He told me it was time for me to go. So at that point, everything kind of changed for me. So, but, but, but the one thing when I got to Notre Dame, to go back to my, my upbringing, when I got to Notre Dame, it was that same situation like when I, my freshman year in high school, I got to Notre Dame and I, I said to myself, I get to this school. Now, you got to understand, Detroit is about 90, 95% black. In my high school, we only had, we had maybe two um, kids that weren't black and they were Asian. We didn't have any white kids in our school. We had 4,000 kids in the school, all black. Right. And so the only only white people that I had communicated with was teachers and mm. and people at the grocery store, stuff like that. So I didn't know how to interact. I didn't know how I would do and, and all this kind of stuff. So I go to Notre Dame and I was so nervous that I was going to do something wrong because I was still rough around the edges. I'm from Detroit. You know, you stood out at Notre and Dame. I did, right? and, and I was nervous that I was going to get kicked out because, you know, I'm going to beat somebody up and say, say something stupid. And so I was always kind of on my toes because I always told myself, I can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. I, and I used to always tell myself when there was, when there was ever a, a situation, I said, I would always say to myself, I can't go back. I can't go back. So I would think accord or act accordingly because I knew I wasn't like some of the other kids at, at that school where, you know, their parents were, were, were done well. I, I couldn't go back. So I knew that this had to be, this had to work because there was no way I could go back with my tail between my legs uh, to Detroit. So that kind of kept my mindset one way, right? Stay out of trouble, stay out of trouble, stay out of trouble. And so now I get to the NFL and I kind of took that, that mindset with me, right? I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to fail. I can't go back. I'm not doing anything stupid. And so that kind of became my moral compass, as to how I went about the way um, I did my business, but also how how I lived my life off the field. Mm -hmm. And so I was it was always that fear of failure, of letting my, my mom and dad down, letting letting all the people with sacrifice up until this moment to get me here, letting them down. So it was always that fear uh, of that. And then once I got on the field, then it was the love of the game that propelled me going forward from there. But it was always uh, a struggle for me because I never wanted to let mom and dad down and, and they were my biggest supporters. My mom and dad went to every game I ever played in the NFL, uh, home and away. They, they went to just about every game in college. I think they may have missed one or two games in college. And my mom went to every high school game. I mean, so they were there physically with me through this through the entire ride. So I was always conscious of, of not letting them down. And my dad told me when I was going off to college, it, I'll never forget it, we were in the parking lot and I said this at my Hall of Fame speech. And he, he told me, he said, he was just letting me out to go to go to um, go and they had just brought me down from uh, home and I was coming in as a freshman. 
they unpacked my my stuff and and we were in the parking lot and he, he just told me I don't have any I don't have much to give you. He said, but I got a good name and he said, don't screw it up, right? And so I always remembered that and because I was always thinking that in my head. So when he said that, it it just it was like a knife that just went right into my heart that said, hey, I'm not gonna let dad down. I'm not gonna let my mom down. I'm gonna do whatever it takes for me to be successful. And so that was that was what propelled me on. And that was always my fuel when I was, you know, you know, feeling like I didn't want to do it or I wasn't, I wasn't up to it. I always thought to myself, I can't fail. I mean, we 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 laughed about Detroit and we shared we shared some giggles there, but what went on on your side of town in your neighborhood? Because we know you know you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. So what were those things that you didn't want to go back to? Well, we had a crack house next to us. I mean, at one point, you know, it got raided a couple of times. I mean, we, it was, it was, it, it was real. You know, I was, I was in that world for a minute and had to, had to make some tough choices and, and to kind of, you know, I was going down the wrong path and, and starting to kind of get with some, some, some bad guys. And it wasn't that they were so much bad. It's just that what they were doing um, wasn't what, what I needed to be doing. And so I had to kind of, you know, look at myself and, and find out what I wanted to do. Right. And so when I look back and look at Detroit, you know, it was, it, it wasn't, it was the environment obviously was difficult and tough, but you know, every kid had to make a choice in that neighborhood in terms of uh, what direction they wanted to go. Most of the time kids don't have to make choices, right? They just grow up the way they grow up and you go where I was at, you had to make a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. Am I going to go that way? Am I going to go that way? Am I going to go this way? It was conscious choices that you had to make because there was repercussions to the decisions that you made. It wasn't like um, the fairy tale world that my kids grow up in and that they don't have to worry about this or that. No, it was, it was clear. There was a clear and present danger, you know, that you had to kind of manage. And so you had to, to figure out where, where it is you wanted to be on that spectrum. Around age 14, you were facing an uphill battle. And that uphill battle was a health issue, not to date you, but 14 years old, around 1986, and you were diagnosed with asthma. Now, asthma back in the 80s were like a death sentence. They didn't really know how. I mean, I had a cousin that died from an asthma attack. Uh -huh. You would get people get asthma attacks, and asthma attacks, I, I don't know if this is an accurate statement, but I would say asthma attacks in the black community was like equivalent to a gunshot wound too. I got diagnosed with that, with asthma in 1986. So when I was two years old and my mom did not find out I had asthma until I was at the hospital and turning blue. Oh, so to your point, yeah. it was almost like a death sentence. Yeah. And also because when you were black and let's be honest, living in the hood, where you had roaches that that manifested a lot of germs, it was very common. It was very prevalent. So this happened a lot to your point, Steve, especially in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you work through that? Because asthma today, I mean, you can, you know, they give you inhalers, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they have nebulizers yep. you treat, yeah. you know, yeah. they have treatments, but back in the day, I mean, asthma, the closest you got, it wasn't no nebulizer. You got literally, a pump 
Yeah. And pray for well, pray. they had the nebulizer, but they expensive. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, didn't. Well, they didn't. Where, where, I, where I was at, they didn't have nebulizer. Yeah, yeah. I, I never. <laughs> I didn't see a nebulizer until I got to college. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not wearing that. I didn't that know that existed. <laughs> right. I didn't yeah. know that existed. What yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how difficult was it for you, health wise, to be such a athletic bowler? Yeah. Right. And and you know. <laughs> And but I'm not I'm not saying that, but yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I'm saying it because no, if you had severe enough asthma, yeah, participating in anything, bowling, yeah, hell, jumping jacks, yeah, you you can break out and have an attack, a, an attack, mm -hmm. and right. at times nothing you can do. Yeah. So so for me, it, it it wasn't, you know, when I was bowling, I was I was fine. It was always in air conditioned. Uh, environment, so it was always a perfect environment that I was in when I was bowling. What I realized was humidity uh, and heat was a factor for me in terms of asthma, but because I was in such perfect conditions, I never had to deal with it. Well, once I went out for football, my, my freshman year, I was 14, that's when I was diagnosed with asthma. I fell out. We used to have to run quarters at the beginning of practice. And I actually had to run the quarters, was running one and got dizzy, lightheaded, and actually, boom, was out, went out. Then they, they rushed me to the hospital trying to figure out what, what was wrong. And they realized that I was asthmatic at that point. So it wasn't until I started playing football until I found out I was asthmatic. And then at that point, my mom um, was asthmatic, right? And so she was very conscious and understood it and everything. And I think that was the one blessing that I had was that she was familiar with asthma. So she didn't, you know, say, hey, that's it, you're done. That's the end of it. She said, listen, we can we can do this if you want to still do this, but we got to do this a different way. We got to manage it. So at back in the day, they had this, they had pills for Theodore pills or whatever they used to call them, Theodore 400, whatever it was, that you have to take up one pill every day and then you had the inhaler, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that inhaler was very rare because nobody had one but you, right? <laughs> Not like the trainers, yep. because yep. in Detroit, we didn't have trainers, right? We didn't have, my head coach, he taped us up and he did it all. My head, and we didn't have like a trainer uh, or age or anybody, it was just the, the, the coaches and my head coach, right? So nobody knew about it. They didn't know anything about asthma. So my mom, she was, um, because she knew about it, she knew the dangers and the risks involved, but she never told me about it. She's like, hey, listen, if you want to do it, I want you to go, you go for it. Um, and so what she would do is a funny story. Um, we had a big game. My high school was about 10 to 15 blocks from my, from my house. So it was really it was about five minute drive from the house. So every day my mom would watch practice because she was so nervous about me and, and the asthma. She wanted to keep an eye on me. She wanted to literally have her eyes on me. She would always park on the side of the road where the track was on, on the back of the school where she could watch practice. Well, we were getting ready for a big game. And one of the coaches said, I think we got a spy. They're spying on us trying to get our game plan, right? And then, and then coach is like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, that car. I, I see that car all week, right? And I'm like, it's my mom's car. And I'm like, oh, 
I was like, eh, Coach, no, I don't, no, that's not, a, I don't think that's a spy. He was like, no, no, you, I said, I think that's my mother. <laughs> and I was like, why is your mother here every day, right? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm asthmatic and da, da, da. And they were like, oh, we know that. But long story short, my mom used to come to practice. He said, well, just make sure, tell her to come inside and park in, inside. And so, you know, she can come in, no problem. But she just didn't want to, you know, make a noise or anything. But as it turns out, it was very serious. But my mom was conscious of it. And so she kept me on top of it. And once I understood what it was, then I informed my coaches and I explained to everyone that there was going to be some times that I was going to be short-winded, some things like that. And I would need a little extra time or a playoff here, there. And so my coach understood it uh, because I literally passed out. So mm -hmm. he understood how significant it was. So whenever I needed to take a break or, or take a couple plays off, that he understood it. So it was never really a big problem. Then when I got to Notre Dame, it, it became a little bit of an issue early on because the coaches thought I was trying to get out of certain things yeah. when I really wasn't, you know, and, and you know, some of the conditioning drills, they think, oh, there he is trying to get out of these drills. That, but it really yeah. wasn't as much as, yeah. you know. So. coach didn't have that much grace at all. <laughs> yeah, Coach Holtz, <laughs> he, he didn't have much at all either. He was like, he was on us, like, and so they always thought that 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 I was up to something, because I may need a blow here or there. But uh, th they gave it to me reluctantly, but um, it was a uh, it was always an issue early on. Hey, we gotta take a quick break. We'll be right back. Cut to it, cut to it. Let's get down to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Nissan has a car for everyone, and that means every driver who wants more. Whatever your more is, more freedom, more head-turning style, more exhilaration, Nissan has it. Get more exhilaration behind the wheel of the Nissan Z, the sports car built to deliver the most thrilling drive ever. Make more moves with the Nissan Rogue that can switch between power and fuel efficiency at the press of a pedal. If you're craving more adventure with your crew, try the Nissan Pathfinder, the vehicle with a muscle to help you handle the journey. Want more of a rush with your drive? Zip around in the agile and stylish Nissan Sentra. And for a drive that's positively more electric, the Nissan Aria has the perfect combination of raw power and refined luxury. When you want more of what makes driving exciting, from sports cars and sedans to EVs, pickups, and crossovers, you can rely on Nissan because more is all we do. Get the endless excitement and the more you've been looking for. Check out Nissan's amazing lineup. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. 2023 EPA fuel economy estimates. 30 MPG, 37 Highway MPG, 33 Combined MPG for Rogue S and SV Front Wheel Drive, 28 City MPG, 35 Highway MPG, 31 Combined MPG for Rogue S and SV All Wheel Drive, 29 City MPG, 36 Highway MPG, 32 Combined MPG for Rogue SL and Platinum Front Wheel Drive, 28 City MPG, 34 Highway MPG, 31 Combined MPG for Rogue SL and Platinum All Wheel Drive. Actual mileage may vary with driving conditions. Use for comparison only. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, 
How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> Let's talk ball. And talking about a little bit of football. So, obviously, you were recruited and you went to Notre Dame. What were some of the other schools or just break down how the whole recruiting process went for you because you stated you didn't watch college football. You, you right. really watched right. professional football. Right. You had no desire to play in the NFL like some some of these other people that is on the podcast right now, <laughs> didn't, you know, who grew up idolizing and wanting to play football. So you go through the process or take us through that process for, for the recruiting out of yeah. high school for you. So for me coming to high school, it was a unique situation. In my high school, we had 4,000 kids in, in the high school. We had about 20, 23 or 24 kids on the football team. We, nobody would, we couldn't get any kids to play. So mm-hmm. we literally had to play both ways. Everybody had to play both ways. And if you were really good, you play both ways without a question. So I was an All-American linebacker uh, and an All-American fullback. And mm. so in terms of the, being recruited, I was the number two linebacker in the country coming out and the number one fullback in the country. And I was actually a better linebacker than I was um, Shut up. fullback at the time. But <laughs> the sure. problem was I was short. I was only five. By the time my, my, my senior year, I was 5'11". 248 and I ran a 448 at the uh, Michigan camp. Humble so, <laughs> so everybody wanted me to play linebacker, right? Uh, Michigan, Michigan, everybody, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn hmm. State. Hmm. Um, all the big name schools. Wow. Alabama, Clemson, all of them wanted me to play linebacker. Now, Miami, Notre Dame, Colorado, Tennessee, USC, they wanted me to play fullback. And the reason, only reason I wanted to play fullback was my high school coach. He coached Pepper Johnson, who was a linebacker, played for the New yep. York Giants. Uh-huh. So, so they, we went to my high school, and, and, and Pepper was like 6'2", 6'3". And he said, Jerome, I'm going to tell you this. 
he says, I know you got, you know, you want to play linebacker. I think you're too short to play linebacker in the NFL. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I think you're going to be a, the best, a, a, a better uh, fullback, right? And I'm like, okay. He's like, you'll be a prototypical fullback. You, you know, you can catch the ball. You could, you, you know, you're really fast. You can run. He says, you'll be a dynamic uh, fullback. The problem was at that time, nobody in the country was running the fullback. Everybody, it was either tailback you, like Michigan, USC, everybody was running the tailback. Nobody had, uh, you know, 235 pound running back that they were running. Everybody was running, you know, a, a, a natural tailback. So I was nervous because I felt that if wherever I went, I was going to be moved to linebacker because. It, it really, you know, why put a guy that's talented at a position you're only going to give the ball to two times mm-hmm. or, you know, 10 times a year. So you won't do it. So Lou Holtz, though, came in and he showed me his offense. His offense was really was designed around the fullback. So the fullback, whenever they went three wide receivers, the fullback became the single back and ran uh, plays. We, the screen, all the screen pl- passes went to the fullback. Um, there was running plays designed for the fullback because he kind of had a semi-option. So it, it was like a marriage made in heaven the, the, for me to go to Notre Dame because that system fit me the best. So as it as it turns out, it came down between Michigan, Notre Dame, and USC. I visited; those are the three schools I visited. I canceled on Tennessee and I canceled on Colorado, um, and I went out to USC. And a funny story I'll tell you about that 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 trip, but but I went out there and they had a they had a guy named Leroy Hope who was a fullback who had just got drafted in the second round, and at Michigan they had a fullback um, that had just got drafted in the first round into the first round, so they were trying to show me hey then Leroy Horde was the running back at Michigan they said hey we're gonna play you like we played Leroy Horde, long story short I, I just knew in my heart, the right place for me to go was to Notre Dame. And as it turns out, they were, they were correct. And Coach Holtz promised that if I did come to Notre Dame, he wouldn't recruit another fullback for another year and a half. And, and he kept oh, his – that's, that's over the deep. Exactly. Well, listen, let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you my first experience with USC when I was, when I was being recruited. So I went okay. out to visit USC. So I get out there, and I'm, you know – you got to remember, at this point, I'm 5'11", 240, 235. I mean, I am. I'm put together. I'm pretty solid, right, in terms of a high school football player. Yeah. So we, I, get to, I get to the visit, and it's, um, it's right in, it's, I think it's maybe December. So we get out there, and they have a party, right? So they take me to this party, and I see, I see this um, – this Grand Cherokee, right? It's a red, I'll never forget a red Grand Cherokee with the gold inky rim. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, who's is that? That was back in the day. And so it was a guy on the back that had the hook, had the, had the hatch back up. And I swear he looked like, like Zeus. His, I, he was like ripped up. And I was like, you can see every muscle on this. I was like, who is that? That was Bro, Julius like, Seau. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to tell you like this. He was a specimen. Mm. He had a tank top on, man. 
I saw every muscle that guy had, and I was like, "What position he?" Played? I was like, "Who is?" Because I didn't, you know, I didn't watch him, so I didn't like know who he was. And the dude was like, "That's Julian Seau. He 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 just got drafted. He go he going to the league." And I was like, "I never forget." I was super confident, everything, and I was like. That's what the linebackers look like. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. That's what the linebackers look like in college. Oh, because I was like, man, uh, this I don't know about this. Mama, I got to rethink this. I got to get better, right? And so I left there. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget seeing him, man. That was, it was, it was, it was life changing because. You know, I now I'm like, man, I'm I'm about to be in college, right? So it was a whole different, whole whole different world for me. But now fast forward, I get to Notre Dame, and our first game against USC is at USC, mm. and and the game is so big that and, and the rivalry is so important. Coach Holtz, he made all of the freshmen take a test on the history of this rivalry. And if we didn't pass it, we couldn't go. It was that significant. Wow. We had to know how it started, the whole deal, right? It means something. It, it, meant, it meant something. So we knew as freshmen that this game, this is the only, we got to take a test? Are you kidding me? And, and so this was the only game that we had to know. It went back to 1925. You know, it's, it, it, 1925, they did 1926, they played the first game. Newt Rockney and, and his it's his wife that really made it happen. You know, just all the stuff we learning about this game. And so if you you can imagine you learning this stuff about it, you know it's important because they didn't I didn't learn nothing from playing Michigan. I didn't have to learn nothing playing Stanford, right? Mm. But playing USC, we had to know. And so it it really established for us what it meant to play USC. Now, my whole time there, we never lost to them. And we had like an eight-year run where we won eight years in a row. And we had some talented teams. But it didn't diminish the fact that we were going to play USC or USC was coming to play us. That was a huge game. And it meant so much to everybody. And, and like you said, when we got to LA, um, it, was, it was a big deal. Because at our hotels, I mean, it was like, you know, we were rock stars. I mean, it was it was an amazing turnout always uh, at USC or when USC came to play us. It was always a huge game. All right, so last one, and then we know you got to go. Obviously, me playing and being a Baltimore Raven and you being a Pittsburgh Steeler. Man, take us through that rivalry. That rivalry, you can watch it on – you can watch it. And when I first got to Baltimore, they asked me to talk to, you know, talk to, I think the Pittsburgh Gazette and talk, talk to the, to the newspaper and tell me what it is. And then once I experienced it, man, it's nothing like it. You know, just, I mean, you, you go look back how Hines knocked out Ed Reed, right? Just all of that stuff. Ooh. You described the Baltimore Raven and Pittsburgh bloodbath rivalry, as they call it, the AFC Black and Blue Division. That one was, that was the game because, and here's how it started, because early on, I had a unique perspective in that 
I, you know, we, we were beating up on him before when Ray got there. So when Ray was a rookie, uh, you know, all the way through, I got a chance to see his progression, right? And early on, we, we, we beat him no problem. And then they, they, they made a, a big jump, right? And then they became good. And so what happened was they got really good really quick. Defensively, they, they, they found that Marvin Lewis, I think, was the defensive coordinator. He kind of got them going, and boom, all of a sudden, they're ready to go. And so year in and year out, they, they built the team to beat us because at the time, we were, we were the, 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 the big dog in the division. Yeah. It was us. It was us, Tennessee, Jacksonville. Okay, and so Baltimore was was the low man on the totem pole, and so it was between us and Tennessee, really, who were the 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 the, um, the top dogs, and so they were coming, and once they arrived, they they put everybody on notice, right? It's like no, 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 we we for real, and so when we started to play them, it became like it was already tough because they were the Cleveland, you know, Browns and then they come over. So there was always still that disdain because they, they were the Cleveland Browns and we, that was our biggest rival. We hated the Browns. So when they moved, it's still, we, you know, the hatred moved with them. Right. So, so that's kind of how it, it was already there, the dislike. And then when they got good, then it was like, Oh, okay. Then they 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 had the swag. They came with the swag, right? And and that was that was Ray and Ed bringing that that Florida uh, UM swag, right? And then they start talking shit, and we're like, oh, okay, right? <laughs> little 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 step bro want to talk shit, okay? And then all of a sudden, then they start pounding us. We were like, whoa! And then then that's when it hit another level in terms of when they could beat us consistently and then we could beat them uh, consistently. Uh, and, and each game, you didn't know who was going to win. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for instance, the, the, the year, the year they won their first Super Bowl, we were the last team to beat them. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, nobody else could beat them. We know how to beat them because you know, we, they, they were built to beat us and we were built to beat them. Mm -hmm. And so every year going forward, it was always a, I mean, a drag out, a bloodbath. It was a war. We knew you, you play in Baltimore. All right, let's put the big pads on. Let's get ready. It's going to be physical. It's going to be 60 minutes. And it don't matter who, if somebody is 10 and, 10 and 0 or, Records go or, out the window. Or, or 4 and 8, it don't matter, right? You're going to get their best shot and, and, and they're going to get your best shot. And it has not changed a bit since that day um when, when they they stood up and said no more no more guys uh and they start punching back and it, it's been it's been haymakers ever since man well we appreciate your time man it's an honor to talk to you uh you know obviously in the the fraternity of football man you're that guy it's an honor to speak to you come on the, on the podcast man it's just it's great to 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 shoot the breeze with you, man. And, well, listen, I, I want to tell you this, and I never got a chance to tell you, man. I've always watched you um, because I've always loved your energy. But I love how you played because you you played as a big guy, 
You know what I mean? And it's like, for us, at, at the running back position, we had the bravado, right? Because we, we played in the era where every team had a feature back, right? If you didn't have a feature back, you weren't, mm-hmm. you weren't, you, you, you were shit. So, so every team had a stud at the running back position and there was an attitude that we exuded. Right. And so that kind of went away. But when I saw you play, I just thought, I always thought to myself, man, you would have made a hell of a tailback oh. in that era because you could talk shit with the best of them and you wasn't afraid to take a shot and you was willing to give a shot. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that was the difference. Um, and, and that's why it was so rare. It was refreshing because I had a teammate like a Heinz Ward who who had that mentality. And then to see you take that mentality that Heinz had and you took it just a step forward because, <laughs> because you you would talk shit with it. Where Heinz, he would laugh, he'd talk a little bit, but he was he, you know, he would pound you, he'd start laughing, right? Whereas you would pound him. And no you would let them know, yeah, that was me. I'll be right back. I see you. And so and that was because like what I used to always say is I'll be I see y'all in 24 seconds. I'll be right back at y'all. Right. And I that was my mindset. I'd be talking shit like that. And so when I used to hear you talk, and I was like, man, I love this guy, man. He's doing exactly what I would have did when we was pounding him. You, you mean just letting them know it's me. I've talked endlessly about the man who influenced me the most in my football is my grandpa, mm-hmm. my grandpa Frank. And Frank and my grandpa always told me, boy, if you're going to play, don't be out there pussyfooting around. Play, play the right way. Play the right way. This is how you play. Yeah. When a big hit happened, he said, if you want to play, mm-hmm. Steve-On, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so I always watched that. Now, when you fast forward into my career and I had the opportunity to become a Baltimore Raven, I'm now sitting in the office of Ozzie Newsome, who I'm just like, wow, mm-hmm. Ozzie Newsome. Like, this is pretty cool. And then in the recruiting process, they tell me why they want me to come here. And you know who they mentioned? Who? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Because He's, of the rivalry. He said, we need a player like you. Other than Anquan, we've never had an offensive player that has that defensive mentality that plays offense. Mm-hmm. Other than Anquan. So we need a guy like that that can play. We need a guy that will go on this big stage when we play the Pittsburgh Steelers and tell them, and tell them in the newspaper, we're going to smack you in the mouth, yeah. but we need you to show up and do it on the field. Right. I looked around like they got to be playing. <laughs> Not me. You want me to do that? You want me? Yeah. I'm I'm authorized. Yeah. I start off, bro, how football was introduced to mm-hmm. me was in the way of you got to hit people. Yeah. You it, either hit in the way that or Jerome, you get hit. Yeah. In the way that Jerome described the, the Baltimore and Pittsburgh rivalry. rivalry. Yes. I love Baltimore as my football home, my second home, because I just love that mentality, that same mentality the grimy mentality of growing up of you earn your keep. Yeah. You keep yourself in that city of how you play. Mm-hmm. That city embraces you on how you play, not on what you give. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, 
you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. <laughs> Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., that is me, is a production of Cut To It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Labreck, production manager Sarah Pollock, theme music by Alex Johnson, lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. You ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 